Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Can We Please Talk podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. That's right, Mike. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, YouTube, Downcast, Nick, 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 I just said it's available wherever they get their podcasts. That covers all of it, man. I know, but I kind of like listing them all out. It just <laughs> makes it feel like a lot more. Yeah, it does make it feel like a lot more. All right. Like Nick said, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of that. Check out our show. Give us a follow or subscribe. Leave us a five-star review and comment in the comment section. Check us out on IG, Twitter, TikTok, at Can We Please Talk Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back. Another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Yay, yay. I'm Nick Saveri. Hey, okay, I don't know what that was, but <laughs> yes, you know that's Nick Saveri. I'm Mike Leon over here. Nicky, my boy, what's going on, buddy? Long time no talk, it feels yeah. like. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're good here, man. We're hanging in there. We've got more, more members of the family getting the vaccine. Things Same. are coming along. So Same we can get Mike. more family here soon enough. Awesome. Yeah, it's pre- it is pretty cool that the, the rollout program, I mean, look, whatever tribulations people are going through to try to sign up for it, but uh, my father recently got it, my stepmother, mm-hmm. uh, my mother-in-law, so it, it is pretty good news, uh, better times to come. But before we get to better times ahead, let's look at some better times from yesteryears, Nick. So we're going we're gonna to do a little episode tonight with some nostalgic flair, okay, for our audience. So I know you give me a look here for the people watching on YouTube. Um so what we're going to do is I'm going to play a couple of television theme songs. All right. You oh, we do a game these? show now up in here. Hey, we're oh, going to do a little, okay. we're going to do a little game show. I'm going to play a couple of television theme songs. You're going to tell me if you know the name of the song. Okay. So let, let's roll the first one for Nick. Hmm. What do you got, Nick? 
Real beep you had. Double dare. No, no, come on. Double dare? That's not even... That was... We're not even going to go with another one. That was Melissa Joan Hart and uh, Clarissa Explains It All, a night oh, okay. sitcom that was on uh, Nickelodeon. All right, well, let's go with another. Let's go with another. Let's see if you can guess another one. And right, you I'm can in, finally, you can kind of guess the trend here. Okay. All right. Let's cue it up for us there. I mean, Mike, it's all that. Like, it's no, a, I know. I know. But they said it. And, <laughs> almost got yeah, I, prob- I probably should have. I probably shouldn't have played that one. Maybe I should have played something else. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Um, well, that was another popular show on Nickelodeon, obviously. So you kind of see the trend here a little bit, Nick. Uh, so let's play the third one, because if you don't get this one, Nick, uh, your 90s card is revoked. OK, so let's play this one. Oh yes, mm-hmm. bringing yeah. the Rugrats up in here. Oh, that's right, it's Rugrats. So obviously, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you get the theme. It's a lot about Nickelodeon tonight. Joining us is going to be the director of a great documentary, The Orange Years, about the rise of Nickelodeon, and that is going to be Scott Barber. He's joining the show tonight to talk about that documentary. And really the rise of, of Nickelodeon in the early 90s with not only the television programming, but the theme park uh, and the rise and fall of that theme park, unfortunately. But all the great shows that you used to watch back in the day, Double Dare, uh, Clarissa Explains It All, all that. Hey, dude, the careers that have been launched from from the different uh, Nickelodeon shows, uh, you know, Graham Yost, the famous writer who wrote on Hey, Dude. I mean, this guy has won Emmys writing on The Americans. He's written for on The Pacific, um, the HBO series. So there's been so much talent that has been produced out of the Nickelodeon family. You know, obviously, everybody knows about Keenan and Kel, uh, Keenan Thompson, who's a longtime SNL cast member. But Jessica Alba was on a show. Christy Taylor was on a show. So, like, there's so, so much that came out of those years. And the do- documentary really chronicles the rise of Nickelodeon television in the 90s. It, it, it's a pretty cool documentary, and, and we're excited to talk to Scott tonight about it. Nick, before we get into our guest for tonight, um, the episode today is presented by Clark's. Have you ever visited Clark's.com, Nick? Visited? I've, I've worn their shoes. Their shoes are fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're great. They sell you know, men's shoes, uh, boots. So today's episode is presented by them, but I wanted to tell our audience a little bit about a Clark story, which began almost 200 years ago when, when Cypress and James Clark, they, they made a slipper from sheepskin. And at the time it was groundbreaking, you know, it's a combination of invention and craftsmanship. And that's always remained at the heart of what Clark's does. You know, from the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently, you know, brilliant ideas are what set Clark's apart. I I really love their shoes. You were talking about the comfort stuff. Um, We're teaming up with Clark's and Podgo, and we're going to bring our listeners 30% off on select items, including the iconic Clark's desert boot. You got those Nick in your, in your closet there? I may, man, I got a couple of pairs. I, I see I see some in the background there. I might got to check if one of those are Clark's Desert. There you go. 30% off select items. All you got to do, you know it by now, folks. Podgo.co backslash Clark's, excuse me, podgo.co backslash Clark's. Check it out today. 30% off on select items. All right, Nick, as we talked about at the top, that we're going to bring it back a little bit with nostalgia. And joining us is the director of the Orange Years, that is Scott Barber. Scott, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on with us tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, you know, um, we were, I watched a doc recently. Um, Nick Nick has recently watched a doc. I'm a big Nickelodeon fan from a lot in the 90s. And we're going to get into how I actually know somebody that was on one of the popular series. Uh, Clarissa explains it all later on. But tell us a little bit, Scott, how you got into this project and, and working on a documentary about a kid's television network. Sure. Yeah, well, myself and Adam Sweeney, my, my co-director on the film, um, we had been wanting to make a movie for a long time. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of struggles, a lot of ups and downs. How do we get a movie made? And we kind of decided that um, we wanted to make a documentary uh, because part of that was we already had that skill. We were actually working uh, on a documentary. We were getting paid to make a little mini doc for somebody else, uh, this school that Adam was working for at the time. And we're like, we're kind of we want to make a film. You know, we, we had talked about horror films and other narrative feature films, stuff like that. Uh, so we, we didn't really think of ourselves at the time as documentarians, but we're like, you know, we could use our skills to just make a documentary. That would be fun. And then we thought, well, what do we, what do we make a documentary about? And we, so we kind of made a list of different things that would be interesting, you know, interesting subjects. And one of them was Nickelodeon. Um, and a little backstory, Adam and myself, we've actually been friends since 1990. Um, so we were watching these shows together as little kids <laughs> And so we're like, ah, that would be cool. But is there a story there? How would we connect all these different shows, you know? And then once we started doing a little bit of research and found out about Geraldine Laybourne and her team, that was the through line. There was a story that would connect all these different shows. And it was information that we didn't think a lot of people had. That made the other ideas go away. And we just focused on Nickelodeon. And we said, yeah, this, this checks all the boxes of, what we need to do to make a documentary. You know, it's got a fan base that people will be passionate about and it's got a story that will be interesting. So that's what made us ultimately decide to make the Nickelodeon doc. Scott, have you had to explain sort of the handoff from what PBS had taken off with Sesame Street to what Nickelodeon really brings on from 1979 onward? How would you explain that trajectory? Like what does Nickelodeon bring in terms of sort of the evolution of children's programming? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, and PBS was just something that was a little different. It was public broadcasting. It, it, it didn't rely on advertisers and things like that. And it's, it's kind of Im important to, I had to do this multiple times making this documentary is you have to remember what the, it was like back then, you know, where cable was something not, nobody knew if cable would even last. <laughs> there was no, the idea of a channel dedicated completely to children was not um, a thing that people thought would be viable. And when it first started, it wasn't really, uh, when Nickelodeon first started, it was just something to add to cable. Like, oh, we got all these channels. Oh, and we do have something for the kids too that is educational. It wasn't actually marketed towards kids. It was marketed towards getting adults to buy cable because, hey, we do have this channel. And the early years of Nickelodeon that I think a lot of people um, I certainly didn't remember, but I think we'll, we'll see in this documentary, they, they were trying to be a PBS clone. Um, and PBS does what it does so well. You know, there's a reason why Sesame Street is still on to this day, why Mr. Rogers was such a huge success. And they were just trying to kind of be that again, but you can't, you can't recreate it by being a clone of them. So I think that they kind of, instead of being educational, they were trying to more just give a place for kids to be themselves and something that would feel authentic for kids. You know, you do learn something 
by watching Nickelodeon, but it wasn't as in your face as PBS. Like Sesame Street is, we were going to teach you your ABCs. We were going to teach you numbers. We're going to teach you. Whereas you learned lessons from Nickelodeon, but it was more like life lessons and how to, how to, how to exist and how to deal with, you know, your parents getting divorced or a friend moving away or somebody being different than you and that being okay and being accepting. So I think it kind of took the flag from them, uh, from PBS and just did something different with it. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because the evolution of Nickelodeon, I thought was summarized in these two stories from the documentary. The first one was about the infancy of Double Dare and how popular that show became. But when they were first filming, they forgot to put one of the props in there, one of the flags and, and, and you know, one of the contestants loses. And it's like, we have to reshoot this because we can't do that. <laughs> but then the, towards the end of the doc, you get Coolio, the famous rapper, smoking weed in the dressing room of Keenan and Kel for all that. Or at least, you know, not maybe not in their dressing room, but at least, you know, he's smoking weed. So it's like that evolution. Where, where does that pivot go <laughs> for a kid's network? Can you just talk about some of these stories in the doc that kind of showed the full growth of how Nickelodeon really expanded past that 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 point of being like educational television and just started to break into the mainstream i think that with those shows um you know there was a natural progression and i think one thing that all of those shows did all the way from double dare until all that and keenan and kel which that's kind of the beginning and ending of the two shows uh you know like you mentioned coolio being on uh all that he was a guest and for those that maybe don't remember some people maybe don't know what all that is i know most people probably do but it was kind of like a saturday night live but for kids even with a and it had a musical guest on there the same way saturday night live does and i think one through line that all of these shows did is they didn't talk down to kids they they let it be authentic they treated them you know within reason like adults you know and i think one thing that was so powerful about all that is like you said the, the musical guest was coolio you know it's not like we got to get Hanson, you know, or a little kid band, you know, TLC was on there, you know, Usher was on there. Yeah. Snoop Dogg. Uh, yeah. They were not getting little kid groups. I mean, and that, that, but I mean, realistically when you're 11 or 12, that's probably what you are listening to. You know, you're starting to be a grown up and you're, you're getting into Coolio and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, they didn't have like cussing on the show, but they still had real that, 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 that I think made kids feel like, um, that the network was giving them something authentic and not talking down to them. Like, Hey kids, here's Hanson. Mm, bop, doo -da, ba -doo, ba, you know, something like that, which <laughs> that was pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. Pretty nice. I was going to say <laughs> spot on. <laughs> well done, sir. Not, not to knock Hanson. They're great, but you know, right, right. Um, you know, it gave them something more authentic that they were actually into. And I think that the fact that they had the guts to bring on Coolio <laughs> was, <laughs> is awesome. And you know, that's the through line, you know, the same way that they had the guts to do that. They also, you know, there's a show called Are You Afraid of the Dark? That was kind of like Twilight Zone for kids. And it was super scary. A lot of people would, would have said, would have said, this show is too scary. You can't do this. You, a lot of times those, uh, the shows ended on a very horrible, horrifying, sad note. The kids get trapped in another dimension. A kid gets killed, gets eaten by a monster in a basement. Uh, Tur turned into a lizard for all of eternity you know they yeah. always they never they everyone said they wrote it the same way they would write for um an adult show in terms of how much effort they gave it you know 
they weren't talking down to them. And I think Double Dare was like that all the way at the beginning. And then all that, all the way at the end, was also like that. And all the shows in between were like that. They did not talk down to kids. You mentioned you mentioned Double Dare. Um, you know, thinking about what Mark Summers' presence was, and Double Dare was the first show I remember with Nickelodeon and like this game show element. But you know, in the documentary, talks about the significance of bringing him on to that show. You know, moving from the original host they had in mind, from just your work there. Obviously, Mark's in the documentary. What was his contribution to adding to uh, the network's legitimacy and its growth to the audience? Yeah. You know, and, and, and kind of to that same point, he Double Dare helped shape what the network would be. All of these things that you saw throughout the 80s and 90s, which were not talking down to kids, giving them something authentic, giving them something real, um, being a little bit irreverent, you know, being just dirty enough that you're like, oh, am I going to get in trouble for watching this, you know, but not so dirty that it actually was, you know, like stuff like that, like having Coolio on there. A lot of the jokes were as an adult, you watch and you're like, whoa, that's a pretty naughty joke, you know, but it wasn't in your face, you know, and Double Dare was kind of like that, too, especially for the time. You know, there's a obstacle where you're digging up in a giant nose with snot coming out of it. You know, there was some pretty gross stuff on there. And Mark Summers, if you look at if you look at the way Mark Summers um, acts on that show, he's just acting the same way any other game show like. Pack Sajak or Bob Barker would act. He's not like, hey, kids, ready for a good time? Okay. He's just acting like a regular game show host, right? As though it was a game show for adults. He's not acting any different. And so I think that he helped set that bar. Like I said, not talking down to kids is something that, that, that they kept all throughout the 80s and 90s. And he was one of the first people that started that. You know, Scott, one of the things that I, you know, I forget about this as I'm rewatching the documentary and then thinking about all the shows in, in the 90s. But, you know, I mentioned Melissa Joan Hart, uh, Keenan Thompson. We mentioned uh, Jessica Alba was on one of the shows. Amanda Bynes, uh, Graham Yost wrote on, you know, hey, dude, like what was it? What was in the secret sauce that they were finding all of this talent, this burgeoning talent before they actually made it onto the scene. What, what, what was it in the documentary that you saw from your perspective yeah. that just, it was a springboard for all this talent. Yeah. It goes to show you, you know, it starts at the top and Geraldine Laybourne, who she's kind of the central figure of our documentary. She had that ability. She had the ability to find good, talented people. And like you said, the proof is in the pudding because look where they've all gone. You know, some of the people on Ren and Stimpy went to create Madagascar and Shrek and all these things. And like you said, Graham Yost, Lisa Malamed, she was another writer on uh, Hey Dude. Look at their IMDb. These people have gone on to be huge power players in Hollywood. Um, uh, Geraldine Laybourne, second in command, Ann Sweeney. She went on to be the president of the Disney Channel. And now she's on the board of directors for Netflix. I think, like you said, the reason is because Geraldine Laybourne had an eye for talent. She knew how to find talented people and she knew how to foster that talent. You know, when you look at all of these shows that are kind of the, the quintessential 80s and 90s Nickelodeon shows, Double Dare, uh, Doug, Rugrats, Clarissa, Keenan and Kel, Are You Afraid of the Dark? None of those shows are similar at all. Like, what does all that have in common with Are You Afraid of the Dark? One is like an SNL for kids. One is like, 
are you uh, uh, Twilight Zone for kids, you know? And then you got the animated shows. The thing is, I feel like so many leaders, when you have one show that's a hit or one project that's a hit, they say, make me 20 of those. That's what works. Everybody follow this formula over and over and over again. So you get these clones of the same thing, just slightly tweaked. And she didn't do that. And I think the fact that she let all of those creative people that you mentioned just be creative, didn't micromanage her. She said, hey, Graham Yost, you're obviously a talented person. Do your thing. You know, um, Vanessa Coffey, who was kind of the executive producer of all the Nicktoons, you're a talented person. I hired you for a reason. Do your thing. So, yeah, I, I would say to sum it up, she knew how to find good talent and she knew how to foster that talent. Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by Podgo. Nick, funny question. Do you know what Podgo is? <laughs> They're the reason we get paid, man. I'm very familiar with Podgo. <laughs> yeah, we, Podgo, folks, is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters a flat rate for ad space. You always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. All you got to do is apply today to become a member. Uh, Nick, what's the website? Well, give me the URL real quick for the people. Just podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's it. Right away, you become a member today. Be sure to add that you heard about this. You heard about Podgo and put in Can We Please Talk in that section of the application. Do You think, and it's funny because recently Nickelodeon came back to the forefront with their partnership with the NFL. You know, they're adding these graphics to a playoff game. And and so you start to see the network come back. And it kind of makes you think about why hasn't the void left by Nickelodeon from their promise in the 90s? And all and the three of us all remember that programming. What do you think explains sort of the void that seems present now? Because there is Disney, the Disney Channel. But what you just described in terms of programming and that, that thrust on children and the empowerment and the idea of you could take these adult type of programming, bring it down to kids and still make it authentic and make it fun, make it even more fun. Yeah. What do you think sort of explains the gap that exists now with not having a premier television network targeted to children? Yeah, I think some of it is just the times have changed and, you know, we were all, there's something to be said about the fact that we were all watching these shows literally at the same time on the same place on a similar platform. You know, we were probably all watching it on a TV that was kind of similar to each other's TV, you know, in our living room. Um, Snick, you know, that was a big one. Saturday night, Nick, you wanted to watch that. Everyone, you're watching them on your couch while they're on their big orange couch. So then on Monday, when you went back to school, everyone was talking about what happened on Clarissa or Alex Mack or Are You Afraid of the Dark? And kids don't watch shows like that anymore they watch them on their own time you know they watch them some kids might be watching it on a tv some on a laptop some on a phone some on uh you know on their ipad whatever whenever they're not doing it together so i think some of it is just that's that's unfortunately gone away or maybe fortunately maybe it's better and these kids will all be nostalgic for that later on i think that's part of it and i think some of it is we're in an era where you're not allowed to take risks anymore you know, that's one thing that they talk about in the documentary. They were, they were allowed to make a crummy show. Like if you made a show and it wasn't a success and that did happen there for all the shows that we're talking about that became legends, there were a lot of shows that only lasted a season and were bombs, you know, they were allowed to do that. It's not like if you make a stinker, you're fired and you can never work at Nickelodeon again. She wanted them to take a risk. You just weren't allowed to not take a risk. 
I think um, Mitch Kriegman, who was the creator of Clarissa Explains It All, he says that in our doc. You, you were allowed to make a crummy show, but you weren't allowed to not take a risk. And I think now if you fail, it, it, people don't want to waste that money, you know? So right. we're, we're getting a lot of shows that are like just good enough, you know? And I think you need those failures to make the successes sweeter. We're living in an era where kind of the opposite of what I said earlier, where all those shows were different. You, f- you find a show that was really good and then make a hundred shows that are like that because you know, it'll make money. You know, um, you mentioned a bunch of things from the documentary, but I would love to know what's something you guys left out that was maybe on the cutting room floor. Cause the documentary is a pretty decent length. Um, uh, is there anything from the documentary that you guys were like, man, I wish we could have put this yeah. in, but, but it just stayed on the cutting room floor. Well, there was a lot, you know, like we realistically, we could have made a little mini doc about all of the shows, you know, we, we, cause every time we would talk to somebody, you know, we'd interview them for about an hour. So we could have made a documentary about each little show. And I wish that that could be a reality someday because uh, the footage is already there. It's already filmed. Um, so there was a lot of that, like all the shows we kind of, cause ultimately we had to remember we're telling the Nickelodeon story not the story of Doug or all that or Rugrats. We're, we're telling the Nickelodeon story and all the little mini stories work to serve the bigger story. Um, but, you know, so all those shows, there were lots of little fun facts and stories about the shows, even though those shows get their moment to shine and they do have, you will find out new things. There was even more. And there, there was also the creation of Nick at Night. Um, mm-hmm. That... Um, we, we had a little segment and, and we had to cut it because of the runtime. And because ultimately if anything needed to be cut, it's like, well, we'll cut the part where it shows that they didn't even make, you know, that, but, but I right. still wish we could have included that somehow, but you know, everyone wants that 90 minute mark when they're buying documentaries. So we had to hit that. But um, you know, I think that's genius how basically they found out they had all this dead space at night. What do you put? You have no budget, but you have, you know, eight o'clock and on, you have to fill up. Uh, let's just buy a bunch of shows from the 50s and 60s that we can probably get for cheap because no one else is playing them. And all the parents of the kids who are watching Nickelodeon during the day will watch those. Let's do it. And it was a huge success. You know, so I, I mean, I think that was a cool story, but ultimately just didn't make it in. I love Nick at night, man. That before Nick jumps in here, I mean, Dick Van Dyke show, Mary Tyler Moore show. I mean, that's how I learned about all of me that. Me too. To, to yeah. So it's pretty funny that you mentioned that. It was a bonding moment for me and my mom too, because I was watching the shows that she watched, you know, because right. I, I get to watch one or two before I had to go to bed, you know, and you know, Dobie Gillis, like you said, the Mary Tyler Moore, um, identical cousins, Patty Duke, that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Rhoda, I think, was on there, too. I yeah, think, yeah, Rhoda. Yeah, so, there were so many. I, I would watch those. That was a cool bonding experience because I'm a kid watching it with my mom who watched it when she was about my age. Right. So it was cool. I love Nick, Nick at Night, too, and I, I wish it, it could have made it in there, but ultimately it just it didn't, it didn't make it in. It's funny for anyone who's, uh, for our listeners or viewers, who've been watching WandaVision, that idea for all of us in our generation yeah. that we watch black, like a black and white programming, and it's trippy because it also connects to our families, you know, our parents who grew up with that stuff. But to us, we're like, this seems eerily familiar. And that's actually shout out to Nick at night for actually putting that in front of all of us. You know, that's for, a great um, point. I probably wouldn't have got WandaVision as much if, if it weren't for mm-hmm. Nick at night, because that's where mm-hmm. I watched all those old those old 50s and 60s, those black mm-hmm. and white shows. 
Scott, what was one of the bigger revelations you had in doing this project, learning about the network? You know, the early years before they found their footing, you know, hindsight is always 2020. We always look at the past with rose colored glasses. Those early years, like before 1984 or five were really fascinating to me to see that Nickelodeon almost failed because they were doing so bad. And it wasn't until Jerry Laybourne came in with her revolutionary way of looking at children's programming that totally saved it. That was fascinating. Just, I knew they were an underdog based on the research that I had done ahead of time, but it wasn't until we started interviewing people that we realized they were really underdogs, uh, really underdogs. No one wanted to sell them products. Isn't it crazy now? If you were making a, a if you, if you were making a kid's show, your dream would be to get it on Nickelodeon, you know? But back in the day, people were like, oh, what is this stupid channel that's probably only going to last a couple of years? No way. They couldn't find anybody to sell them programming at all. That's why the early years of Nickelodeon, they weren't even making their own shows. They were licensing them from other places. And they had to go to other countries because no one in America would, um, you know, would give them products. And that's pro that probably, looking back, had a profound effect on me. Because I watched some of those French shows and uh, shows from other countries, you know, it, it, it broadened my horizons for sure. Scott, uh, before you came on, uh, obviously, we were talking off air about some of your new projects that you're working on. So I would love for you to take our audience through some of your, your new projects that you have. You have American Clown that you're working on, a, a documentary about clowns. Uh, and then This Is War. Um, take our audience through each of those documentaries and what it is, you know, the subject matter and, and when we can expect to see them. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. American Clown is something I'm really uh, fascinated about. It's uh, in, in a similar way to the Nickelodeon doc where you take something you kind of know about and then shed more light on it, you know, and uh, American Clown, uh, Bill Parks, who was a producer on The Orange Years, uh, he's also working that on with me. And uh, Guilford Adams and some other people had, had, had been working on this project already. And then we kind of got brought in. And basically, you know, nowadays when you think about clowns, you think about Pennywise, you know, or American Horror Story, all these awful things. Um, and, and if you were to bring a clown to your kid's party, it would probably be the worst thing you could do. You know, kids would be so scared. Uh, and they're just also, they have iPads and stuff, you know, but clowning is an, is a really, um, an art form that goes back a long time where what, and, and we see this uh, with every documentary I make, I, I hope that it relates to everybody, even people without firsthand experience. And I think we live in an ever-changing world, a world that's becoming digital. And what if the thing that you felt you were born to do? that you studied to do, you went to college to do, became obsolete. How would you feel? How would you navigate that? And there's a clown college, you know, these people that that's what they went to college to do. Um, and now, you know, Ringling Brothers has closed down. That was a huge hit. Um, you know, McDonald's kind of had this program where they would, they'd called them friends of Ronald, where you could be a live Ronald McDonald that's closed down and more and more kids are afraid but, but it's really a beautiful thing to just, it's a, it's a skill. It's an art form of these people to be able to entertain people and it's multiple skills. It's comedy, it's acrobats, it's acrobatics, it's all sorts of stuff. And uh, so it follows uh, Gil, the co-director with me on that. It follows his story of 
what's going to happen to clowns? What's the state of, of clowning as we move into this new, um, this new world that we live in, you know, and also, you know, clowns, uh, hospital clowns, rodeo clowns, like where did this art form start and where is it going? And uh, we interviewed some really cool people in there, you know, uh, Steve-O from Jackass, uh, you know, he, he, he took his skills as a clown. He went to Cl Ringling Brothers Clown College and, um, and, and that's what got him on Jackass. He used all those skills. So there's all these amazing skills you get. He, he's, we, we got a really great interview with him on there. It's just, I think, a really beautiful story that I think anyone can relate to. We're seeing a lot of jobs being replaced by technology uh, in America. And I think, I think while the story might seem small, it's actually a much bigger story because it's, I think a lot of people can relate to it. Yeah. And, and then you brought up This Is Guar. That's right. one that um, I'm also working on with Bill Parks. And for those that don't know, Guar is this band that you can go see. They're interplanetary barbarians who were banished to Earth millions of years ago. And they play heavy music, heavy metal music, and chop people's heads off and spew blood and other bodily fluids all over the audience. It sounds crazy, but it's awesome. And uh, <laughs> they're just these really talented artists and musicians um, who are, are a lot more like Spinal Tap or something like that than, say, Slayer. They have a lot more in common with Monty Python or something like that than Metallica. And um, it's a really beautiful story about people that just made their art the way they wanted to make it for three decades now. And they've suffered incredible losses. And the music industry has changed three or four times, probably more like five, six, ten times and they've always stayed true to what they want to do. And I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, it's well said. Um, we look forward to those documentaries because, uh, you know, as a fan of the orange years, and it just brought me back to my childhood in the nineties, watching it with my wife, we're, we're both laughing and remembering some of these shows and moments from these shows. So we really appreciate that doc. We look forward to American clown and this is war. Uh, Scott Barber, thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This, this has been a blast. All right. That was Scott Barber. Like we mentioned, The Orange Years. You can check out the documentary. It's available everywhere. iTunes, Amazon. Uh, just check it out. Voodoo, Fandango, all those places about the rise to prominence of Nickelodeon and, and children's programming in the 80s, 90s. Some great stuff there. Some insight from Scott, who, who made the documentary. And just what Nickelodeon brought to, I'll speak for myself, you know, somebody who used to watch the kids programming, it's, it's, you know, I felt nostalgic, you know, you feel good about it, because it's just like, you remember when the theme song, we were playing the theme songs earlier, Nick, you know, you hear one of those theme songs, and you're, you know, you're 12, 13 years old, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, Clarissa is coming on, and he mentioned about all that kind of being like an SNL for kids, you know, you, who's going to be this, the musical guest this week, so there was so much cool stuff there, Nickelodeon uh, really rose off, and like you mentioned now, how they've pivoted with the NFL to do these cool graphics and really bring the sport uh, to life to these kids um i just thought it was great nick what'd you think of scott and also what'd you think of the documentary uh, scott was fantastic i just appreciate the stories he told about it and the documentary is fantastic too <clears throat> as you said i mean it's available on all these different platforms right. you know, anyone that remembers that programming growing up i would highly recommend to check it the story out because i think the way it lays out this amazing this amazing story of this network connects to all of us i mean the theme songs obviously still hit for us and you and i both have kids you know right. there's an exciting moment of like when do i get to introduce ren and stimpy to my daughters like what you know there's 
there's so much program that came out of it and thinking about what that network meant to all of us. We, you know, we talked about Nick at night too. You know, that ability yeah. to even cross generations and get our parents to watch that same network because of stuff that they as kids were now being reintroduced to yeah. through, their, through their kids network. I'm so glad that he mentioned that because Nick and Knight had such a profound effect for me watching Dick Van Dyke with my father mm. or, or the Mary Tyler Moore show. Like I mentioned, so much of, of that programming from the 50s and 60s that got moved over there. So it really was a bonding moment, like he mentioned. And then earlier today, I'm playing the Rugrats theme song and my daughter's entranced with it. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't know what the show is about, but because if she did, um, I don't think she would get it. But Rugrats, it just goes to show you the depth of some of their programming that really didn't speak down to kids like scott mentioned like you know like it it treated them almost a, as equals so I, I thought that was really fascinating um speaking of programming as always you can find our program on youtube nick's, nick's pointing down smashing the button you know you got to hit subscribe follow you know you want to hit subscribe follow forget about it, you know you have to uh we're available across all the audio platforms spotify google apple stitch i can't keep naming them all of them folks we, we, there's too many to count just type in can we please talk and you can find our podcast as always i'm mike leon i'm nick Saveri. thank you so much everybody see you next time later catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 